Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to episode 188 of Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer movie podcast based in Chico, California. My name is Max Minardi. And I'm Johnny Summers. What is shaking you bacon? Oh, that's nice. The internet world. Hope you're doing well. Um, we are back at you this week with two more craft beers, a couple more movies. And if you've never heard us before, we do that each and every week, sometimes a little bit of extra of both. If you are tuning in to listen about The Devil All the Time, I want to say we don't spoil that movie until the very end of the show in a segment called The Danger Zone. If you want to find us on all the social medias, Johnny will tell you where to go. Yeah, you can find this episode and all others at freshhopcinema.com. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Apple podcasts, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. That's probably the most important thing about us. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema, Letterboxd at Max Minardi, and at Johnny Summers. We both cover movies on there. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com. And like I said, our online home is freshhopcinema.com. Uh, Patreon.com slash Fresh Hop Cinema is a little fun website where we kind of make a couple extra bucks because people love us and we love them. Max, tell them a tiny bit more. Sure. Very briefly before I do, I'm getting a bug in my ear from our real-time fact checker. This is episode 189, not 188. That was last week or the week before. I know we skipped a couple weeks here. So, Well, good work, producer. <laughs> yeah, good work, random producer who is somewhere else. Um, yeah, patreon.com is a way just to support our show. If you like hearing this podcast and you want some bonus content, maybe extra movie reviews, extra beer reviews, and you want to give us a dollar or two for each and every episode, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash freshhopcinema. It's pretty easy to sign up. Uh, you'll get more information there, uh, including extra stuff that you'll get from us. Um, but currently during this pandemic, it's mostly fun bonus content. And lately we've been drawing out of Johnny's um, proverbial hats, and he has all these ideas of hypotheticals that pertain to movie universes. The past couple have been really fun, and I've been enjoying them. And who knows what we'll do. We have to record ours after this episode today. So I'm excited for it. It's been a lot of fun. That's Patreon in a nutshell. Check it out if you want. Boom. And also, if you like what you're hearing and you, you care about us as humans, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend that likes movies or beer. Yeah. I think we're pretty cool guys. They might like us. You never know. I just assume that I like you and you like me enough. And we're, you know, I know on paper, we maybe wouldn't have liked each other, but we did. And I think that says that we're both likable. Yeah, exactly. So here we are. Absolutely. We're good people, and gosh darn it, people <laughs> like us. Uh, you want to get into uh, our first beer of the week, man? I do. It's a beer that I'm super excited about. I picked this up immediately. I saw it on the shelf at SNS Produce. Uh, good buddy of mine, Andy, shout out. He knows what's up. He's bringing in some cool beers. Uh, it's one of my favorite little hidey holes to grab. Um, great sandwiches and also beer. So oh, shout nice. out to those guys for for being an all around pretty solid local Chico store. Yeah, uh, the beer in question is called Meyer Lemon. It is a citrus saison from Crooked Stave Brewing out of Denver, Colorado. It's five percent ABV, and a bit from their website about the description that we can anticipate. This bright citrusy saison is brewed with fresh lemongrass, fresh Meyer lemon zest, and hand-squeezed Meyer lemon juice, and fermented with our wild Britannomyces yeast. So, Max, let me ask you, what are you going to expect out of a beer like this, and do you traditionally like beers of this style? Uh, so, I'm always, whenever I see saison, 
historically it's not really my jam, but I'm always a little bit optimistic when I see something in front of it, like citrus, because I count on some of that brightness and zestiness and um, kind of tanginess to offset some of those more farmhousey flavors that I don't typically enjoy in a straightforward Saison. Um, I've had a sip of it already, and it's not quite as lemony as somebody like me would want, because there is still a lot of that farmhouse farmhousiness going on. Um, it's, it's on first impression, fairly approachable, but my, my first gut reaction is like, mm, I, I don't know if this is for me. Uh, have you poured it and tried it yet? Yeah. Chunky, chunky. That's pretty funky. Yeah. 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 That is a uh, funkadelic man. Uh, Bootsy Collins would love this beer. I'm not aware of that reference. That's okay. It's not for you. Uh, so man, this beer is uh, way funkier. Like you said, I was, I mean, Meyer lemon is a very strong flavor. Meyer lemons are sweet mm-hmm. and like robust. Some people don't like them because they're almost too sweet to be considered a lemon. Yeah. Uh, I personally love Meyer lemons. I've got a buddy here in town that has a tree and I bring home as many as I can and I juice them and I make my own, uh, like sweet and sour mix. Uh, I make my own margarita mix with it. Uh, it's really good because it does have this natural sugariness, and I'm not getting any of that out of this beer. I get more of the zest. It is refreshing and approachable. Uh, it is super funky. You have to be down with that. It's definitely a saison. Um, it is bright. It is subtly citrusy. I'd say way more pithy, more like the, definitely like mm-hmm. the rind of mm-hmm. a lemongrass. Uh, not lemongrass. The lemon, yeah, reading lemon. my notes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> With the zest of a lemongrass. Yeah. How do you zest the lemongrass, lemon bro? Grass. It's just straight up is what yeah. that basically is. Yeah, so you get some some earthiness from the lemongrass, um, but <laughs> I do not get any of the juice. I would like to see more of that. So I, I'm kind of middle of the road on this beer. What are your thoughts? You literally just said lemongrass again. <laughs> you were like, you get some earthiness from the lemongrass, but not so much of the juice. <laughs> not so much of the juice from the lemongrass. <laughs> um, yeah, you know... I want I like I think that a more bitter lemon might have been the way to go. Uh but again, like this is such a personal thing. So if, if I was speaking objectively, I think it's a really well-made beer so far. At 5%, it's super light and drinkable and as we're coming to I believe today or yesterday was the first day of fall. Um mm-hmm. so uh it's a nice maybe end of summer kind of beer. Um but there's not enough tanginess for me to like want to keep drinking it to kind of quench the the puckeriness that some beers give you. It's just really it's really mellow um as the citrusy stuff goes and it leaves too much space for the saisoniness for me personally. Well, I mean, when something's advertised as a Meyer lemon saison and knowing, like I was saying earlier, like that flavor profile of what Meyer lemons bring to the table mm-hmm. and then tasting this, it's kind of underwhelming. Like the expectation yeah. was to be all, I was expecting a like almost lemonade type flavor totally. with some, some saisony funkiness with maybe some of that Britannomyces bite and a little bit of tang on the end. Um, and in fact, it really is more of a traditional saison with subtle, subtle citrus notes. Agreed. Um, which is good for what it is, but it's not quite as advertised. So I'm, I'm, I can't give this beer like a super high rating. I do like it, but it's not, I don't think it's as advertised at all. Yeah. 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 I don't either, but it is, I mean, it is, it's fine. You know, it's a good beer. If you like, if you like saisons, I think this is very approachable. Certainly. And one one thing about Crooked Stave is they make incredible, like all their beers are incredibly well made. Mm. You cannot say that this beer isn't like manufactured in a way that it's, it is fantastic for the sure. style it yeah. is. I think it's just that, that, uh, 
that gap not being bridged between the expectations and the labeling and the branding and the title uh, to what you get. So, yeah, that's my take, man. If you're looking for a, a sweet, like, lemon slushy type saison, yeah. uh, which is what I was expecting. Like I said, more lemonade, more sweetness. I would prefer this to be quite a bit more sweet and a bit more tart. It's kind of more just bitter and dry. Yeah, it's super uh, mellow. Yeah, it's mellow and and like you, I was wondering why you were saying that about a more bitter lemon, mm. just cause bringing more like more of the tang. Yeah, I want more bite. Yeah, 100%. but again, that's not indicative of a Meyer lemon. That's just I just for me that that's a better flavor pairing with a saison or a farmhouse I want in general. A, I want to squeeze half of a lemon into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Have we done Crooked Stave on the show before? I was I was trying to look at our list here and, and I Google just to make sure, but I know we I, I confuse it with Crooked Lane for a minute out of Auburn, and I know we've done them, but I don't remember us ever doing Crooked Stave on the show. Um, I want to say we did a Nightmare on Brett. Maybe oh. if we haven't, we discussed it. We've at least drank one together. Like I know yeah. I've drank like a yeah. Nightmare on Brett cherries with you, which is like their, you know, their barrel aged sours. Mm. And those are that's really good, but it's they're really expensive. I know we haven't done it during quarantine, so if we did it, it was like over a year or, two, or maybe even two years ago. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the Nightmare on Brett right now, and it's not ringing any bells to me visually. Um, okay, and if it was a really strong Brett tasting beer, I don't think I would have liked it anyways. Do they do a lot of wild ales? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice website, guys. This is cool. They actually do have a nice website. They do. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. might have sounded sarcastic. It was not. This is a nice website. It did. I had yeah, to interject sorry. there. I was like, no, for real, guys, yeah, it no, is nice. Yeah, sorry. I was actually just looking at it, and I might have not put the right emphasis on my words. Really good-looking website. Uh, I'm always impressed by that. So are you, I think. Hell yeah. We super appreciate it when we can find information about your beer on your website. I feel like that's not too much to ask. <laughs> no, that's no, fine. <clears throat> um, American Solera, <laughs> looking at you. Uh, we'll get there later. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's let's rate Meyer Lemon Citrus Saison from Crooked Dave out of ten. Johnny Summers, what you got? Oh, do you have any, of, I guess do you have any other thoughts on it? Uh, no. Cool. Okay. I think I have said my piece. Out of ten, this beer is a solidly average, like six point six. Six point six, pretty good. Yeah, it's fair. yeah, it's fair. It's pretty good. It it doesn't knock your socks off. Uh, try it for like three bucks a can. I mean, mm-hmm. that's fine. But yeah, I wouldn't go out of my way to pick it up at all. It's an absolutely f- adequate saison. Yeah, I, I'm, I can't really get past the fact, and if we're just talking ratings, I can't really get past that I don't like it much. So, mm. you know, it's like a four for me. I think it's well-made, so I'm not going to go much lower than that. Um, but I, I definitely wouldn't drink it again. It's just not, not my speed. I think that's fine. Yeah, and it's funny is I picked this out because I thought, ooh, this is probably a Saison that Max will like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, I know we've done a few, like the tart Saisons that like – once, if they say tart saison, a lot of the times they're way more in personally in my wheelhouse. Like I'll yeah, totally. be prone to enjoy it more. And I thought I know this we, would do that. We did a modern times um, hoppy saison. I can't think of what it was called right now, but and that was this is probably over a year ago. But I remember liking that. Yeah. So there's definitely a formula that that I can be sweet talked by a saison with. Exactly. You know, if it tastes enough like other beers. Yeah, if it's yeah. like if it's right. like if it resembles a sour or a goza, yeah. or an IPA, I'm in. Yeah, probably, huh? That's fine. Yeah, there's there's fine. layers to it. There's layers to the saisoniness and just the different yeasts and stuff. So every beer is different. I mean, that's why we do this. We have to try them all to find the ones that you like. You said this is about three bucks for a can. Yeah, it was like three twenty nine, something like that. It's reasonable. Yeah, it not, is. That's it's, fine. 
yeah, for a 5% beer, that's like a good experiment from a brewery that I know I, I like typically. It was worth the risk. Risk? The risks. Yeah. It sure. was worth the risks, man. Um, so again, yeah, you found it at SNS Produce here in Chico. I'm sure since they are out of Colorado, if, if we're getting it here, it's probably readily available, at least I would say West Coast. So keep your eyes open if you if you want. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, before we get to our film of the week, we do have some flick pick material to cover. I have two. Johnny, you have one. How do you want to do this? You want to do your first one? I'll do one. You do the second one, or do you want to do both of yours, and then I'll finish it up? I think, and you can tell me if you don't agree with my strategy, but I think I'm going to try to tie them in together. So I want to do mine together. Do it. I also think since mine is a little bit um, probably more morbid, (laughs) uh, at least trajectory-wise for society, maybe we'll get mine out of the way. Although yours is also kind of morbid, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Our whole uh, flick pick section is kind of dark. Just a week. dark one this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's fine. Yeah, okay. Well, then I'll go first, and I'll tie mine both in together, but I'll play you trailers for both. And I'm going to start with a documentary that came out on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, here's a trailer to give you just a taste, and I'll talk about it right after that. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident. That's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google, Twitter, Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up. And we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. If everyone's entitled to their own facts, there's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is checkmate on humanity. Okay, again, that's a trailer for the new film to Netflix called The Social Dilemma. It's a pseudo-documentary directed by Jeff Orlowski. And the uh, the IMDb synopsis says, this film explores the dangerous human impact of social networking with tech experts sounding the alarm on their own creations, which is pretty accurate. There's people like Tristan Harris, who is, he, as himself, they're just interviewing him. He's a former design ethicist with Google. Um, 
There's a guy named Jeff Seibert. I could read the whole list of people here on IMDb. But the point is, there's a ton of people that used to work for these companies that are now speaking out against the ethical problems with the way these companies are designed, specifically as it pertains to its users. Um, I, Johnny, we've both seen it. Um, I just, like... I'm trying to figure out a good way to sum this up in a couple of minutes. Um, so if at any point you're like, Hey, make sure to talk about this, please just interrupt me. But I will just say that like, it's a pretty good documentary. It's an hour and a half long and most of it is just interviews, but there is like a third of it. That's sort of this fictional reenactment almost of what it's like to live in today's day and age, which I found kind of weird. Cause it's like, we are all living in today's day and age. And some of that stuff is really cheesy, but overall, if you are like certainly Johnny and myself, who have at this point deleted our Facebooks and are sort of consciously limiting our social media exposure, I think this will be very vindicating to you. Watch and you'll just be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's a little bit depressing because it gets into like how some of these companies are purposefully trying to get people addicted and how then other companies can buy the data that these companies collect on you and then use your data to shape the way that you think and maybe change the way you think as like elections go or, um, child pedophilia, which is redundant. So just pedophilia, a lot of this stuff comes into play. Talk about Pizzagate. If you never heard about that, you'll learn. Um, which unless there's anything else you think I should talk about with this, Johnny, uh, I will move along into my second flick pick. Well, I mean, I'm assuming you liked it. I'd like your overall thoughts. Sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get, I said this uh, the other week about some movie. I, I liked the movie a lot, did not enjoy the experience. Uh, it was, I'm thinking of ending things. It's just too real, you know? So it's not mm-hmm. like a fun, lighthearted watch. It's just like, oh shit. Like, yeah. Like every, my fears are kind of confirmed. So yeah. it's eye opening, especially if you don't find yourself thinking about this kind of stuff all the time. Um, I definitely think you should watch it again. If you have Netflix, it's on there. It's an hour and uh, 34 minutes long. It's relatively digestible um, in that sense. So yeah, I, I'd check it out. It's pretty new. It came out on September 9th. So give it, give it a watch. I think what, what did you think of it? Briefly, I suppose. Um, well, I mean, like you, kind of same as you. I, I, I liked it, but I didn't like how it made me feel. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a lot of things that I already knew, just regurgitated and confirmed, and also the depths of the depravity of these companies from people that helped start them yeah. was truly eye-opening and, quite frankly, terrifying. Um, and it really made me reevaluate a lot of things, even though I am off Facebook and whatnot. Like. You know, it showed, it reinforced how malleable the minds of the American populace is and how easily misinformation spreads and how uh, opinion-based news and everyone having their own facts uh, is a terrifying trend. And unless, like, there's one quote in there that was fantastic and it was, unless we can all agree that there is one truth, we are toast. Yeah. Uh, and or that even, is yeah, something yeah. that is absolutely paramount in the world that we live in to, you know, you're not entitled to your own truth. That's just not a feasibility. So, yeah, it's it's wild, man. It was a crazy documentary. It is an absolute, like, mind bender. Uh, and if you've never considered getting off Facebook or thought much about the effects of social media, especially on children or mm-hmm. yourself as an adult, I'd watch that movie and then and take a look at your habits and and go from there, man. I it was definitely like rife with controversy. A lot of people aren't going to like it. Yeah, uh, not unlike your second movie. I was going to say if that's not a great transition, I don't know what is. Um, but again, that's the social dilemma on Netflix, and it connects very nicely to another film that made it to Netflix called Cuties, and it's the directorial debut from French director Maimouna Decore. 
And it was a film that came out uh, originally under a different name. It was a French name, obviously, um, Mignones. And then Netflix bought the rights to it, kind of revamped the marketing strategy and put it on its platform to an incredible amount of controversy. Um, Some might say they remarketed it poorly. Oh, yeah. They absolutely did. And I will get there. Um, So so basically what happened is this movie came to Netflix. um, A a cancel spree started on Netflix and hundreds of thousands of users canceled it because – some I don't know how this happened. I just know that it happened. Somebody in the chain of marketing command at Netflix was like, "Hey, let's like let's rewrite the description of this movie, and let's change the poster from something that was relatively uh, what's the right word safe, innocent maybe, and and make it. Well, I mean, we should talk about the movie first, but make it a little bit more uh, controversial, I guess. Yeah. Well, give me give me the synopsis, and then explain to me how how Netflix made it more controversial. Sure. Okay. So basically. The film follows this girl, Amy, her and her family are Senegalese uh, immigrants to France and her family's extremely religious and, and they're going through a marriage and her mother or her father's getting remarried to another woman outside of their traditional marriage. And um, there's all this focus on her conservative religious upbringing. And then in the midst of all this, Amy discovers a new group of friends who are very into dancing and realizes that she wants to dance as well. And uh, they decide that they want to go and try out for this dance competition all the while keeping it a secret from her family and sort of exploring this brand new trajectory of life that she didn't know existed. And that's about the description without any of the contextual controversy, I think. Okay. The controversy is that um, these young girls are doing fairly adult dances in no way close to stripping, but like twerking and things that they have seen online that they are learning to use to essentially make it in the world as young women, which is definitely um, a troubling th- a concept that young women would have to deal with this. Um, so basically back to the Netflix controversy thing. So I wish I could find, I had this article. Um, basically it was like the original director approved synopsis was Amy, a young girl is, uh, exploring outside of her family's conservative upbringing and, uh, learning what it means to be a dancer in a group of friends, something like that. And then Netflix changed it to like young Amy is rebelling against her conservative family and exploring her, her femininity and learning what it is to be like a sexual young lady or something. And then it's like with this image of these girls scantily clad, basically on a stage, it was just a really bad marketing scheme. And it led to people without seeing the movie, like rating it really poorly all across these uh, different uh, aggregate rating places like Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Um, and I just thought it was such an interesting tie-in to the social dilemma, which I had just watched as well, because there is such a visceral reaction to like if you see somebody's Facebook post or any number of blog posts that are just like, This movie's the devil, you should ban Netflix or like have it removed or like protest or whatever. And I was just like, Well, we should see what it's about and form our own opinions. Um so we did. Um yep. and what do you think of it? You know, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I don't think it was nearly as controversial or as crazy as as anything I read. I think, yeah, Netflix might have made some poor choices in marketing it. Uh, But the piece of, you know, film itself was definitely trying to shine a light more on a social issue of the sexualization of young women more than promoting it. Yeah, uh, and I thought it was an interesting look into young women's perspective, and growing up in this day and age with social media, and you know the uh, 
what is that song on the radio? WAP. <laughs> oh, WAP. Sure. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. Wet and Gushy, as the sure. radio edit is called. Uh, you're just navigating the the landscape. And I think, you know, it. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good movie. And I think it's not worthy of the wrath that is coming down on it. Because, like I said, I think we agree on this, that it's, it's definitely, you know, promoting a deeper look at a social problem, which art often does. Uh, yeah. As opposed to promoting that problem. So if you can differentiate the two, yeah, it's not particularly easy to watch, but also, you know, good movies that are shining a light on major problems usually aren't easy to watch because those problems aren't easy to look at. And if it bothers you, you should look at how you interact with society as a whole, not just this movie. Yeah. I was saying after, well, I said this to you the other day, but um, after this backlash kind of came out, the director said, some people have found certain scenes in my film very uncomfortable to watch. But if one really listens to 11-year-old girls, their lives are uncomfortable. And that's why I made Cuties to start a debate about the sexualization of children in society so that maybe, just maybe, politicians, artists, parents, and educators could work together to make a change that will benefit children for generations to come. And it reminded me of a quote that I saw another reviewer write. And it was basically like, uh, I hope I get this right, but presentation is not promotion. Which Mm -hmm. is to say, like, just because there's a movie about this isn't like we're making a movie for pedophiles so we can watch, you know, like there's a deeper message here about what maybe we as a society or um, parents or, or friends are allowing and um, consciously or not putting in the heads of children as what yeah. is good and helpful and, and what's a strategy to make it in the world. And, and it's a challenging film. I agree with you, but it's, it's not certainly what the uh, most extreme arguments against it have made it sound like. No, if anything, it's an uncomfortable look uh, behind the underbelly of of the society we live in and uh, a harsh look at what we're normalizing and why is it okay. And those are questions we should be asking. Yeah, I think this this movie helps us ask those questions. So, yeah, in spite of the negative that I've seen and read and I know you have, uh, I think it was pretty good. Yeah, again, it's Cuties. It's on Netflix. Um, if you get a chance to watch it or The Social Dilemma, let us both know what you think. Johnny, you have a flick pick as well. Would you like me to play a trailer for it before you talk? Uh, I would. This is a trailer for my flick pick of the week called Hashtag Alive. Production note, that trailer is in Korean. We are not playing that trailer. That was a trailer for the 2020 horror film Hashtag Alive. It dropped uh, the 8th of September in the United States. I watched this on Netflix because it dropped there September 8th. I had heard a lot of buzz about this and I had some time to myself and I got to just lay around this last weekend and relax and watch a zombie movie. Like who doesn't love to do that? That's like a perfect Saturday for me. It's (laughs) like, you know, a burger, a beer, the couch, a zombie movie. (laughs) Mm, Happy boy. Yeah. So this movie uh, was filmed, ooh, I think it was filmed in South Korea. You are correct. Don't quote me on. No, you're okay, right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, and the director, I believe it's I-L. I think it's I-L as well. Is that pronounced E? Just I just own it, man. Just go for it. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I think, think whatever you I think is right. I think it's pronounced Icho. Uh, I oh, okay. Can't, I can't say 100% certain, but he directed it and he wrote it. Uh, and I'm assuming it's a he. Oh, my God. You don't have to get caught up in this. I think it's fine. I'll double check for you. I just did like zero research, That's and okay. there's no picture on it, their IMDb. No, so. there's not. A director uh, did this. Yeah, a director. But anyways, this this was a really fascinating and fun take on a zombie movie, uh, zombie survival horror type movie. Uh, the IMDb 
summarization I, I really like, and I'll read it for you right now. The rapid spread of an unknown infection has left an entire city in ungovernable chaos, but one survivor remains alive in isolation. It is his story. Uh, so essentially, it's, I, from my opinion, it's the perfect zombie horror movie for the pandemic. For now, this, yeah. Like, he's literally, like, like playing video games and then looks out his balcony and there's zombies everywhere. And mm-hmm. he's stuck in his apartment alone. Yeah, it's hitting a little was, too close to home for me right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I dug it. I liked, I liked the cast. I liked the writing. I liked the way that the movie played out. It had a really good plot. I don't want to spoil any of it at all. Uh, I think the the description that I read is summarization enough. If you like this kind of movie, like if you liked Train to Bassane, which I think was one of the most revolutionary mm-hmm. horror films of the last 50 years, if you haven't watched Train to Bussein, you're missing out if you're a horror fan and you should kick yourself in the face. I think that's fair. I don't know. About yeah. I could, I'd be really hard to do, but you are missing out. Exactly. It involves least. possibly dislocating your knee. That's <laughs> that's how serious we're taking yeah, this. Yeah, go watch it. I think that's, that's, yeah. that's so on Netflix to Bus- too, right? Yeah, yeah. Train to Busan is on Netflix, and I absolutely adore that movie. Uh, and this was definitely in the same vein. Uh, South Korean horror is really legit. They're, they're putting out some amazing movies. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved the listening to the language and reading the subtitles and kind of approaching this survival horror type situation from a very uniquely uh, South Korean perspective. It's pretty sure. interesting. So overall, I would highly recommend it. I think if you like movies like this and you like my style of movies, check it out. Yeah, that's fair. I was going to say, I mean, zombie movies almost always have topical present day relevance. And obviously just outside of like the obvious stuff, was there more that is applicable or, or sort of that you took away as a, as a large overarching theme that ties into today's society or anything like that? Or was it just a straight up fun, scary horror movie? Uh, you know, there was definitely the themes of isolation and uh, there there were some things kind of later in the movie that had to do with social media, but I don't want to give them okay. away because it's yeah. a bit spoilery, but you can kind of allude to that with the hashtag alive. Yeah, right. Uh, definitely certain things going on there that relate to you said he's You said he's a home. gamer, right? Yeah. I imagine like probably not just sitting on a Nintendo 64. I would imagine he's kind of connected to the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. PC, online PC gamer. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, then yeah. I won't ask too many more questions. Uh, just for sake of not wanting to spoil anything that I'm not even aware that I'd be spoiling. So that's a lot or hashtag alive on Netflix. Uh, I'm certainly going to check it out. It sounds I'm, I'm riding your same boat with the, I always said train to Busan, but maybe it's Busan. I don't know. Um, but also like Bong Joon Ho's a South Korean director that did the host, which is another great Korean horror movie. So there's good stuff coming out of that part of the world. I think. Hell yeah, absolutely. Check it out. Okay. Um, we're at one of those weird crossroads again where we could break format in the show since we've talked about movies for so long. Are you wanting another beer or do you want to go straight into a trailer for The Devil All the Time? Nope. Nope. Stick into script, baby. We're going to Devil All the Time. Okay. Again, if you haven't seen this film yet, we're not going to spoil it to the end of the show, but we are going to play you a trailer and then come back and talk about it. So stick around. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, honey. This was your daddy's. Brought back from the war. I it's time to pass it on. It's the best present I ever got. Thank you. 
How and why people from two points on a map without even a straight line between them can be connected is at the heart of our story in Knock'em Stiff. You ever think about how we ended up orphans living in the same house? I know what my daddy did. Some people would say it's just dumb luck. You take pictures? I do. I see a smile pretty enough to photograph, that is. Others would tell you it was God's plan. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That ain't no preacher. He's as bad as they got on the damn radio. When people look back on it, they had no other choice. There's a lot of no good sons of bitches out there. Excuse me, preacher. You got time for a sinner. You know, I studied something. It's called the delusion. A belief that is untrue. It is our delusion that lead us to sin. Delusions! Some people were born just so they could be buried. What I'm about to do, I do because I have to. Not because I want to. All right, so that was the trailer for the new to Netflix film, The Devil All the Time. It was written and directed by Antonio Campos, and it was adapted from a 2011 novel by the same name by Daniel Ray Pollock. If you're not familiar with Antonio Campos' work, I am not, but his last film was Christine in 2016. And this movie stars people like Bill Skarsgård, Haley Bennett, Tom Holland, Eliza Scanlon, Harry Melling, who you will know from uh, being Dudley Durst from Harry Potter. I think that's his name. Uh, Robert Pattinson, Jason Clark, Riley Keough, and others. It's, we were just talking before uh, we started recording this that we don't want to spoil too much of this movie. It is sort of a, I think it's safe to say, a nonlinear story. There's some jumping around that happens um, and some bows that get tied up. So we're going to do our best not to give away any major spoilers. But it's a story about f- how violence is passed down through families and uh, the ethics of all that told through middle America in the fifties and sixties. It's a multi-generational story. And I think it's, there's, or, there's elements of horror. There's drama, obviously there's some action. It's, it's a, it's a mosaic of a lot of different things. Yeah. But, a little bit of like true crime in there. Sure. Definitely. Um, I was excited for this movie for a really long time. I had it slated in our calendar for over a month. I think at this point, I was excited to see Tom Holland, not as Spider-Man for the first time in a while. I'm obviously a big fan of Robert Pattinson lately. Um, Bill Skarsgård creeps me out. So I was in. I thought this was going to be a really exciting movie and would give us a lot to talk about. Johnny, what did you know about this going in? What did you expect? And uh, what was your reaction to it? Um, Pretty much just the trailer. Uh, Everything from the trailer, just stacked cast, like a neo-noir, gothic, southern crime thriller type thing. Mm. Uh it looked interesting and intriguing, and the cast alone made my ears perk up. Uh, I was expecting pretty much what I said, like a like a like a retro, like almost noir, like yeah. 
mystery thriller murder southern sweaty humid movie yeah yeah uh and you know my overall thoughts on this i don't think we want to get too deep into the plot because no. it's gonna like you said a lot of the the bulk of this conversation i feel like should happen in the danger zone um yeah, yeah i agree but my overall thoughts on this movie were you know there was a lot going on at times it felt really cluttered um, there was a lot of characters in this movie mm-hmm. and it kind of tried to give them all a certain, uh, depth and motivation. And I don't think a lot of these characters had the room to breathe in the context of this movie, which is shocking at its length. It was like what, two hours two, and 20 minutes yeah, long. Something like that. So I would have liked to have seen maybe focus more on some of the characters and less on the others in order to just give more depth. But let me say this overall. I really liked this movie. Okay. I thought it was a very fascinating movie. It was well put together, except for, like I said, that the, yeah, you know the the character stuff. If you're gonna put this many characters in a movie, I think they did it as good as they can. I think this this viewed as a like 1950s dime store pulp novel. Mm-hmm. I think it really had that vibe, especially with this constant narration throughout from the author of the original novel, Daniel Ray Pollock. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of the characters interactions and I loved some of the roles in this. I thought Robert Pattinson was just deliciously despicable. I know. <laughs> and I don't care if that's a spoiler. He that's fine. was, yeah. he's a creep. Like you can see in the trailer, he was he's kind of a creepy dude. Filthy like Southern preacher. And I thought he did an amazing job with that. So overall, I really liked this movie. I thought it pulled off what it was trying to do as well as it could for what it was. I don't think I've ever really seen a movie quite like this. Uh, Some of the characters were very endearing immediately with a very short amount of screen time. And that's a testament to the writing and the acting. So Overall, for me, this movie's uh, big thumbs up, and I did like it. And we'll get into way more details about what I liked it and about it and why in the danger zone. Max, give me your overall feelings on this movie. While you were talking about sort of the the denseness of certainly at least the characters in this movie, I, I looked up how many pages are in the book, kind of expecting to see like an eight or nine hundred number, and there were just under three hundred pages, which is interesting to me because there is so much in this, uh, what ended up being the movie. And you mentioned that it is narrated by the author of the original book. And it's one of those things like my, my first reaction to this movie, I honestly, like the first, I was texting you like the first 50 minutes, maybe I was, I was sighing heavily and rolling my eyes. Cause there is something about a movie that starts with like, you might never have heard of this little town in Ohio, but if you look closely at a map, oh, you still might not see it. And not a lot changes in this sleepy old town, but there's a family that's been here for generations, and this is their story. Like, that kind of stuff can often just feel really boring to me, and it okay. did. And there's, like, there's a – I think the it's tough to say that there's a main character in this because there are so many, but um, there are certainly moments in the film where it seems like it's focused more on one person than another. And – Without spoiling, I guess I would say the f- the person that it's about for the first forty five minutes, that entire section of the movie, I I hated for a lot of reasons, but mostly like just it just was plodding along and and it felt like because there's violence strewn throughout this movie and and especially in the early parts of the movie, the first half, a lot of it feels very shocking and and for the for the sake of it, really like there's some stuff about World War Two and and domestic violence at some points. And all of that is, I I don't think that it's not relevant to the story. I just think that 
it comes across in a way that was, was, I don't, it felt kind of lazy to me. Um, but once we sort of settle into the pace of the maybe second half of the movie, if, if not two thirds, like I did get a little bit more invested, like Robert Pattinson's character also had me hooked. I think Tom Holland, and this is pretty good. He's given a lot to work with more than he is ever given in, um, Marvel films. Certainly. No, Aunt May. You don't think so? No, I was like, no, Aunt May. Oh, no. I was like the extent of his acting in Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think he does a good job. I don't, I don't, I think you have to really buy it. Like you are so used to hearing him be like, Oh, Mr. Stark, I'm your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Like he plays a drastically different character here. Um, and I think it worked for me, but I could see how you might watch and be like, that's just Peter Parker again. No, thanks. I'm not into this. Um, what I was more interested in to tie back to your point, you were like, you said that you think this movie achieved it was what it was trying to do. And I just don't think I know what it was trying to do or say necessarily. I mean, I mentioned there are themes of like violence being passed down through generations. And like, certainly there's strong overtones of sort of the potentially negative influence of organized religion, certainly as it pertains to like what felt very much like an evangelical sort of, Southern vibe. And that feels pertinent today, I think. Um, but I don't think that any of these issues, and there's more than just those ones, but I don't think that any of them are really tied up in a way that satisfied me. And by the end I was kind of left feeling like, well, there's, there's a over two hour movie that I just watched and I don't know. It never felt like there was an issue, a singular issue that was ready to be resolved at all. So then when it did end, it was like, I guess, I guess it's, I guess it makes sense. But it, it just, I don't know. It, it never landed for me, I guess. This movie in general never really landed. That's fair. And it sounded like you weren't 100% in from the jump, so it makes sense that it wouldn't get you there. I was kind of on board from the beginning, so it wasn't yeah. hard to get off the train. Sure. But yeah, if you're not there from the beginning, this isn't a movie that's going to pull you in, I would say. That was the bummer, too, because yeah, like the first 45 minutes, again, were kind of a drag, but then I did get into it. And then, obviously, it you mentioned like you hadn't seen a movie that's just like this. And I agree. I have seen a lot of movies that feel like nuggets of this. Like there's elements of these different characters that all sort of come together, which also feel very novelly to me. That made sense in a book. Um, but it didn't quite play out like, like in a, in a movie like Pulp Fiction, like you have all these different characters that intersect over time and that's done. I mean, that's like top tier of this kind of storytelling. I and mean, there's elements of different movies throughout this. You mentioned like true crime stuff and, and I don't know, man, it, it felt like too many things. That's fair. That's fair. It would, wouldn't be inaccurate to say that this movie was a little cluttered, like I said, mm-hmm. and a little busy and trying mm-hmm. a little bit too hard to do too many, too many storylines, too many plot points, too many characters, too many motivations. Yeah. And just, it's they're just, just not all, they didn't even all m- matter. Like it depends well, what you think the main goal is, but yeah, you know, we can, we can talk about that yeah. at, the, at the danger zone, but yeah, it, they didn't really culminate cohesively i would say yeah it was more like one of the storylines just it's like salmon swimming upstream not all of them survive and the storyline that survived was the one that we watched through to the end and i'm just the bear at the top of the waterfall like give me some food just with your mouth open just just uh, just give me that (laughs) just none of them made it yeah so you know well all right so i don't want to spoil anymore do you no i'm good Okay, so overall thoughts, I think I liked it significantly more than you. Uh, it was definitely a flawed film, but overall I thought it was good. Um, Max, are you ready to rate this out of 10? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm going with, 
<laughs> I'm going with a oh god. I'm gonna go with the generous three. Wow. Yeah, like as much as I want to defend um like Tom Holland's performance and Robert Pattinson in particular, he's not in the entire movie. So like I'm just like throwing out some nuggets of praise, but ultimately I'm never gonna watch this again. I can't recommend it to anybody with a clear conscience. So yeah, it's a it's a three, and I feel like that's still lenient. Okay. What about you? Okay. Uh so for me. This movie feels right around like the 6.8 mark. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I liked it. Would you watch it again? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 100%. All right, well, that's The Devil All the Time on Netflix. We're going to let that be. Uh, We're going to go to a quick break, and then we're going to come back, have our second beer, which may contain a Toby Keith reference. So stick around for that, and we'll be right back. If you have a hunger or a thirst... Well, gosh darn it, I've got a place for you. Handlebar Chico right here in town. They're one of my favorite watering holes, like many other people. They have an amazing happy hour, seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. You're going to get a dollar off craft beers. You're going to get half-price bottles of wine and good deals on cocktails. You can't beat it. They have an amazing patio. It's all ages. Take the family out there. Take the dog. Go get some blue sky. Hopefully the air is fresh. Enjoy yourself. Grab a meal. Grab a nice beer. Tell them we sent you. They support us. Go support them. Max, tell them what the address is. The address, my friend, is 2070 East 20th Street. Again, that's the handlebar right here in Chico. Go check them out. So we are back with our second beer from American Solera out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. This beer is inspired by Max Minardi's favorite American recording artist, Don't one, you dare. Toby Keith. Don't you dare with, put that on me. <laughs> and just like Toby Keith, American Solera has a terrible website full of not much useful information and pretty colors. (laughs) So I want to talk about Mosaic is a beer. And that's all we know because that's all they told us. It's it's dry hopped with some stuff. Yeah, it was was Mosaic and Strata, you said, right? Yeah. Cool. Toby Keith, by the way, is, and I obviously, if it's not clear, I don't like Toby Keith almost at all. I think he's kind of a scumbag. (laughs) So, um, I was also looking up what Solera meant just in case that was in a different language. And, um, the first thing I found was that Google thinks that in Spanish, it means Solera and in English, it also means Solera. So not a whole lot of help there either. The other side is that it could mean a process for aging liquids such as wine, beer, or vinegar, brandy, uh, by fractional blending. Um, so that the finished product is sort of a blend of different ages of these different products. So it could be, maybe it, that's what it, their brewery's name's about. Who knows? I don't, it, it could be an ancient Greek code word for he who has a shitty website. <laughs> oh man. I don't even know why they would have that in Greek back in the day, but they were fucking smart. I was like, they were way ahead of their time called websites. You're going to love them. And some people are going to be gonna bad at it yeah, yeah. and have really bad ones. Yeah. And people are going to want to talk about their beer, but we're not going to, they're not going to tell them anything. So Ooh. We are already I'm, I'm grading blood this. red mad yeah, at yeah. this brewery. We're grading this on a scale, and that scale is that we are uh, skewed negatively. But maybe this 7.4% IPA with a cartoonish-looking Toby Keith on the front is going to make up for the negligence uh, on their internet presence. Well, I tell you, young Max Minardi, it smells really good. What a great start. It's also, uh, we ours or at least mine was, I assume ours is from the same batch because you gave it to me. Mine was canned on July 30th, and that puts us at uh, about a month and a half old. I hate it. Man, what a bummer. What happened from it. smell to taste? I hate it. 
I hate it. I want to like chop my tongue off and wash okay, it off with steel wool. Won't pour that much. What are you? Uh, what's going on? Give me a heads up so that I don't. Uh, so I know what to expect. Oh man, well it's sickly sweet with notes of of like rotten tangerine. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Um, yeah, it's like if you walked by an orange that's been sitting on the sidewalk after it fell out of a tree on a hot summer day. I know exactly and that, what that smells like. And that orange has been there for three to four days. And then you're like, you, this orange looks it, good. And then no, you pick it, it gets up. better. It gets oh. better. And then you're walking barefoot on the sidewalk. <laughs> okay. And then you step on that orange and it squishes between your toes and it just goes, whoosh, slides out from mm. under you. That's the mold. The smell of this beer would be exactly what your foot, or the taste of this the beer. The taste, yeah. Would taste exactly like how your foot smelled on a hot summer day stepping on a rotten orange. So I'm going from the ground up here. I've just poured it a little bit. It looks like a straightforward hazy IPA. I don't think it was even listed. We got our uh, information, by the way, um, from some combination of um, Beer Advocate, which listed it as an American IPA. And I guess maybe, where did you get the Strata Hop information? Uh where yeah is it on the can uh it was on that was the only thing it said on their website okay so yeah i mean i think already this is definitely a new england ipa it smells um i mean it's very obviously that and it it smells i guess if i didn't know what you had just said i would say it's probably a one-trick pony and is maybe a really sweet seven and a half percent beer i am curious but also hesitant to taste it but i'm gonna do it anyways i should hope so I regret it, but I'll do it again for science. Yeah, you know, yep. It's um, I I don't react quite as strongly as you to this, but it is incredibly sweet. Um, I can I can actually picture a scenario where I drink this. It's got to be pretty hot out, and even then, I don't think I want an entire pint of it. But nope, I think on the right day, an eight ounce pour of this would be fine for me personally. It doesn't bother me quite quite the same way. No, I'm not into it. There's, I mean, I was coming yeah. in pretty fired up. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, this is not doing it for me at all. It is, it's too sweet, man. It's like orange hard candy mixed with bad beer and it's not good. I don't know, man. I'm digging some of the mosaic hoppiness going on there. Or maybe, I don't know. There is, there is, I couldn't say specifically mosaic, I guess in this one, it's too sweet, but there is a good amount of hop bite. And I don't know. It's not, it's not quite as orangey to me. I don't think. What do you mean when you say hop bite? I mean, on the end, there's a little bit of a, of a, of a bitterness that I'm not getting just all, almost until the very last second. It's like, Oh, there's a little bit of, um, it's either bitterness or heat or possibly both, but the heat's not indicative of seven and a half. It feels more like a 9% kind of heat. So I think it's that, but also there's a little hot bite for me. It's not this totally one dimensional sweet bomb. Okay. Huh? Yeah. I definitely don't love it. Obviously I, 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 I will go out on a limb and say that I like it asterisk. Okay. Well, I dislike it. No asterisk. This beer is trash. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about or you just want to give it a rating and move on? I'm like losing all energy having this beer anywhere even near me. Oh, no. We got to get you another Rolling Rock. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> or something, yeah. Good so, God. out of 10, what is it? 1.5. Oof. Uh, it gets one. No. one. What? How many, how many alcohols are in this? 7.4. Oh. It gets a 1.74. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's better than 1.5, I guess. Yep. It's pretty low. Um, yeah, I, you know, 
It's it's fine. It's just below fine for me. It's I, how much was it? I already have my rating. I'll just, so my, for me, it's it's a yeah. It's the I'll give it a I'll give it a four. Okay, because there's a time and a place, I guess. But for know. me, there is no time and there is no place. This is everything I hate about beers that are trying too hard to taste like orange juice. Yeah, I I know that about you. So how much was it? It's like six bucks. Yeah, and that's that's too much. Yeah, I mean, it made it from Oklahoma. That's part of it, but still. So does everything that Prairie's ever made. Yeah, that's true. But it literally takes twice as expensive. Any Prairie beer that has ever existed over this one. Oh, yeah. It's Prairie. Yeah. 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 So, man, not a fan. Your website's garbage. Your beer is not You're just good. so mad about the website that I have to imagine that it's factoring into your rating of the beer. Well, I have expectations. None of the basic expectations of what I feel like a brewery should present into the world have been met. A good website or average beer. That's all I ask. Well, Just sure. be drinkable and have more than three words about your beer. Yeah. But they I mean, literally had like four words. Well, there you go. That's IPA, dry hop, mosaic, strata. I mean, if you count dry hop as two, that's like five. So Hyphenated words count as one. Okay. I have standards, damn it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's I want to talk about Mosaic from American Solera. It, SNS, right? Yeah. Cool. Grab it if you want. Um, maybe you'll end up grabbing it on the time and place in my book that would be good for you. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe you won't. I mean, if you're into stuff like that, give it a whirly-dirly, but I, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, it's then hard, I- it's a hard yeah. no for me. I will preemptively add that to your list of things that are bothering you this week. And on that note, let's move on into hot and bothered. Johnny, what's got you that way? This yes. Week? Do you want my bothered Absolutely. Uh, additional or my hot first? I want your bothered first. Okay. So we watch a lot of movies here at Fresh Hop Cinematic Experiences Limited. Uh, and my <laughs> weekend consisted of a lot of movie watching and TV watching. I've been trying to catch up on some shows. But I watched a brand new movie that just came out on 18th of September called Antebellum. It, it runs an hour and 45 minutes. It's rated R. It is a drama, horror, mystery type thing. Sure. <clears throat> so the description on IMDb is incredibly spoilery for this, but this movie I didn't think was very good at all. So I'm just going to read it for you. So potential spoilers ahead for Antebellum. Successful author Veronica Henley finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. Who directed it? So it was directed by Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz. It was also written by those two. Stars Janelle Monet, Eric Lang, Gina Malone, and a few other people. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty vague description. I Maybe it's one of those things you're like, if you've seen it, that's an obvious spoiler. But for me, who has not seen it, you know, it doesn't give away too much, I don't think. Um, okay. But just looking at this, though, I, I mean, I was excited for it. It's one of those movies that it seems like more and more often people are like, from the people that bought you or brought you Get Out. And it's like, more and more, I'm like, you guys got to stop saying that because Get Out was incredible. And you can't just keep name dropping that if your movies are not as groundbreaking. And it sounds exactly. to me like this one is not that way. Yeah. No, Why not? it is not. So this movie lacked any sense of who this character is, Janelle Monet's character. Mm -hmm. And it's her suffering in this movie is central to the plot, but we're given nothing about her as a person other than these vague, very vague generalizations about 
culture and comments from her. She's an author. She's well-spoken. She's at one point does like a Ted talk. Okay. And it's like the most canned, like society does not want the black people to succeed. Black women are the future, like all good points, but also like not intelligent at all. Uh, like not thought provoking or like, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't anything new. Mm -hmm. Um, and also they focused a ton, the whole first, how long 30, is this? Uh, hour and 45. Okay. The whole first 30, 40 minutes, maybe even 45, we are just immersed onto this plantation and there is a hundred percent violence and like zero percent character development or humanity. You'll have to give me like, a little bit of, of, of uh, context. Cause I heard you say Ted talk and I also heard you say plantation and those God, I hope are not happening at the same time. No, so this movie takes place in, let's say, two time periods. Okay. Uh, like a plantation and like a current day and a, a back-in-the-day type situation. Does that have to do with the mind-bending mystery before her? Yep. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so you're just, you're you're thrown into this with, you don't get any backstory on any of the slaves, any of the slave owners. There's no humanity from either side. Because even s slave owners had like goals and they were people. It was just this like cartoon. You're saying you're saying from a plot perspective, not exactly. from like from like a redemptive. The slave owners were fine. Well, just no, they would have. They weren't just like they said things to their wives. Like they had conversations. There was like literally no dialogue. Yeah. Almost, it was just un like in my opinion unnecessary violence because it's not saying anything new. Mm -hmm. And it's not sent, giving us any information we didn't already have. Yeah. Uh, what could have helped this movie was just the the characters and endearing writing and making us feel really connected to these characters. And this movie was just disjointed. It was told in three acts, let's say. Okay. And there's a flashback scene. And it, usually in flashback scenes, you have to compare the flashback of the past to the, the present and it was just really not cohesive, and it wasn't well put together. I think the whole thing was just, there was just a lot of fluff with no substance, yeah. and it just didn't strike home. Um, I, I I wasn't a big fan at all. So that's kind of my bothered for the week, because I had really high hopes for this movie. And I had seen the trailer, and I had thought time travel I was hoping for yeah. like a sci-fi horror time travel type thing, perhaps. Uh, uh, and what uh, ensued was nowhere near that. It was odd and overall just not an enjoyable movie. Front is, to it, back. is it safe to say that there's a twist? It feels like there's a twist. I'm, like again, mind bending mystery and, and different time periods. Like it feels like it's a movie that'll try to pull the rug out from under you. Did it try to do that? Yeah. Did it work? No. Yeah. Can you tell me why it didn't work without giving too much away or no? Um, I kind of figured it out earlier. Oh. The, yeah, there were there were pretty clear indicators of it. It's that kind of thing. It's like if you know, the, if you know like the sixth sense kind of thing when that was like, oh, shit, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. Your second viewing of that's different because you know kind of the gimmick. Um, sounds like this might be the same where if you know it or if, certainly if you predict it, it's like, okay, why am I extra? Why am I watching all this happen? Yeah, kind of. Um, as far as I know, and Johnny, I'm sure you can attest to this as a 
good citizen. This is available for video on demand for I think like twenty bucks. And I don't think yeah, it's, it's on Amazon anywhere. Prime for twenty bucks. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, but you would not maybe encourage people to watch this. I wouldn't recommend it. I'd wait till it hits Netflix and and throw it on there if if you're so inclined. That's a pseudo recommendation. Like maybe check it out when it's free. Maybe. Yeah, if you want, but there's other movies, and I'm sure there'll be other movies that come out between now and then that I would recommend more highly. Okay, well, that's Antebellum. Check it out if you want. Johnny, what's got you hot this week? All right, so two things. One, I got to see you play music. That is always exciting. Yeah. Went to the Secret Trail Patio Concert Series this last Sunday afternoon. Saw you, saw Kyle Williams, and saw the third guy, whose name I can't remember. His name's Webster Moore. I was going to say Dexter. <laughs> Go with Dexter. <laughs> Okay, so the Dexter, the the penist, right? You got to throw an A in there somewhere. The penist, did it's in there? Is it? Yeah, it's in there. It's fine. All he right. tickled the ivories like a man possessed. Sure. Uh, Max and Kyle sang their precious little hearts out. It was a great time. So it was nice seeing some live music, feeling regular, being at Secret Trail. What what wow. you couldn't see from your seating position, though I know you know, is that we were behind a giant wall of plexiglass. Yeah, in, in the tap room itself, and I actually Kyle it was Kyle's date technically, and then he had uh, arranged for Webster to play with him. And then the day before, he was like, "Hey, I'm playing. Do you want to come play?" And I was like, "Yeah, I could. I, I could check my calendar." <laughs> um, and I ended up coming down with my stupid cajon, and yeah, I just kind of sat in. It was fun. It was very unofficial, but but very cathartic. And um, what you're saying, but from the stage instead of the audience, it was nice to play some music. There you go. It was awesome. And also, the last thing that I am excited about is I got a new chair to record in. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. My butt is significantly more comfortable and relaxed at this moment. That's It's it's hard to overstate a good chair. It really is. It makes all the difference. It does, man. I feel like I have more energy for the show right now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm comfortable. Yeah. I'm sitting in your old chair, the red one, yeah. uh, at my place. And it's, it's over the past month or two, like started sinking slowly. Oh. Like over the course of like 30 minutes, it'll drop down. And I'm oh, just like, and I find myself at the end of those 30 minutes, like kind of straining, like my back hurts. And I just kind of do a little squat, bring it back up and it's all good. But it's been so hot, um, in this stupid room that I can't have my good leather chair that I bought last winter for the show. But the turn of the weather no, is coming. Why can't you? It's too hot. <laughs> so you'll it's just not like breathable. stick to it. Yeah. Oh. Especially when I wear the shorts that I like to wear, which yeah, are anything short- above halfway up my leg. Yeah. Uh, you're halfway nutters. up my thigh. Yeah, right. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. Which is all to say, uh, speaking of hot and sweatiness, I bought an exercise bike. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's so stupid, but I did. <laughs> I, it's such a stupid idea, but I had it. Like I had this. This, you know, like in Inception, like once you have an idea in your brain, it's really impossible to take it out or whatever. That's our job. I'm Leonardo DiCaprio. Like mm-hmm. I got this idea drunkenly sitting on the couch one night. I was like, I spend so much time just sitting here, like watching movies for the show, maybe, or just watching TV, or or playing a video game and I'm like sitting here often drinking beer and just sitting. I'm everything but my head, which is just engaged in the TV is just being wasted sitting on a couch. So what if I did everything the same, but did it on an exercise bike. And for a couple of weeks I was looking like on Craigslist, like used exercise bikes, which is not, I realized retrospectively, like you don't want somebody who's old exercise bike. If you can help it like, yeah, you know, a lot of intimacy into what that machine goes through. I think. Yeah, that's uh, sharing a crotchal region. I know. So I went to play it against sports because I hadn't had that epiphany yet. And I was like, hey, do you guys have any used ones of these? And he was like, yeah, we haven't gotten any like six months. And I was like, that makes sense. And then I just looked them over and I was like, just let me get this one. I'll take that. And I just wheeled out the floor model into my minivan 
uh, fully looking like somebody having a midlife crisis. And I just took it home and stuck it in the living room. And I have been biking on that thing. I played Mario Kart with my wife last night and worked up a great sweat. I watched part of the devil all the time on my bike. And it, it turns out that you should demo a bike before you buy it because it's way too small for me. Like I can't extend my legs all the way. Um, okay. And it makes my back hurt. So I have to take it back, but I'm going to get a better one. Sweet. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to mention uh, that's got me hot is that, um, and this is another sort of, not another, but every, every now and again, I'll plug a show and I will do that now. October 3rd, um, I'll be playing at the commons, which is right next to secret trail. And it's a Saturday. I'm playing from like seven to nine, I think. And there's plenty of room on their patio. They have misters. It's very lovely. You pour your own beer if you've never been. I believe my friend Rob Delgado's playing with me on the drums. So it should be a fun I time. I like that guy. If you're free. Yeah, me too. If you're free uh, that weekend, October 3rd, please come join. It'll be a lot of fun. You know, that sounds fun. Uh, and like it's all outdoor seating. You have to wear a mask when you pour your beer, but otherwise you can sit outside and not wear a mask and totally. drink beer. And mm-hmm. and they good food you have to buy too. Good food. Yeah. Yeah. Last time I was out there, it was the Golden State Smokery. Yeah, they have them there a lot. They, they, I haven't really. I think I've tried their stuff once a long time ago, but people like them. So yeah, it's solid. It's good drinking food too. It's yeah. good beer food. So uh, yeah, nice. I'll put that in my calendar. I'll try and Please come out. Do it's um, so far from my house. I was gonna say like you. Yeah, it's it's so. I love that too. It's so close to my place. Like whenever I play at Secret Trail or the Commons, specifically those two spots. Even though downtown's pretty close as well, but those two specifically, like even if I drive, I'm like I don't have to worry about drinking because I can just leave my car there. Like I can walk home and be home in ten minutes. Hundred percent. It's, it's so nice. It's great. Hell yeah. Um, that's well, all I got well, for hot bothered. Yeah, that's hot. That's bothered. I'm Max. That's Johnny. Let's get out of here. We're done. Yeah. Do you want to go to the danger zone? Oh, we have the danger zone. <laughs> we're not done. No, we're not done. No, we still have the uh, the devil all the time. We do. Um, assuming Play you that have danger stuff zone sound, play. baby. Yeah, all right. Danger, danger zone. zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Welcome to The Danger Zone, the part of the show where we spoil the movie of the week. In this case, we're talking about The Devil All the Time. It's a film, once again, it's available on Netflix. Go watch it if you want. You can pause this podcast and pick it up when the movie's done. It'll be like, no time has passed. You'll just be a lot smarter about this movie. Okay. Um, Johnny, we said earlier that there is going to be a lot of stuff that we can discuss now, basically, because so much of this is sort of tied up in the nonlinear storytelling and how the, all these characters end up intersecting. And uh, where do you want to start? Yeah. So we're, we're talking about this like we all just watched it. So, bro, this movie was great. I liked it, but it was all over the place. There was a serial killer. There was two serial killers. There mm-hmm. was PTSD. There was creepy, rapey priest. There are two pastor. Two of them. Two of them. <laughs> Man, yeah. there there was uh, what was the other like a cop that ran for oh, office yeah. that ended up being the serial killer's like brother. Like <sighs> yeah. then there was that weird like moments where they were like the the cop was answering to like some gangster, like he's connected and like paying yeah. off somebody. Like okay, yeah, yeah, all that. I th- I think you were pretty accurate. I think I would have even enjoyed this more than I already did, as if it was uh, a miniseries. It should be a miniseries. I agree. Can I also say that Robert Pattinson's preacher character is named Preston T. Garden, which I really love. <laughs> like what a what a weird what a what a seemingly innocent name for an incredibly malicious dude. Right? Um, so yeah, I mean just to touch on what you're saying, one of my big problems here was that it was so so there were so many people and so many threads that ended up connecting 
but but it was so unlikely. And I get that it's a small town and whatever. It's Ohio and West Virginia, which are not like single town states, by the way. They're, they're like full states. But no matter what, like over generations, all these people keep kind of weaving in and out of each other's lives, which doesn't work or didn't work, I guess, for me. I can not speak for myself. But like, what are the odds, you know? Like, I don't even want to – I almost thought about drawing up a family tree for these characters. Right. Because there is like – I don't know. So like Bill Skarsgård and Haley Bennett play what end up being Tom Holland's parents. And then you have like Eliza Scanlon's character, Lenora, who is who is Tom Holland's stepsister – she is the product of like some creepy priest dude. Uh, I think, I guess marrying and probably consensually having sex with another woman. But then like later on, we see that it, there's basically parallels between both of these generations. So yeah. Like, and like everyone's halfway related or knows each other. I know. It was so weird. Yeah. I don't know, man. So can we, maybe we start with for me, the most obvious sort of out of place thing which was Jason Clark and Riley Keough's serial killer duo, Carl and Sandy. Yeah. Like that whole thread just seemed like it didn't pertain to the overall themes of the rest of the characters and the rest of the movie outside of just maybe violence. Yeah. I was thinking about that. And the only purpose that they served was to give Tom Holland's character this one last thing to overcome before he's like, quote unquote, free of this area where he grew up. Because when you think about it, those serial killers, the only thing other than that last scene with Tom Holland that they affected were, well, they did kill the first creepy pastor, which was weird. Right. That was Harry Melling's character, Roy. Yeah. And then other than that, the only purpose they served was to cause like political turmoil for this uh, sheriff guy. Yeah. It's, but also he's not really serving a purpose either like his only purpose is to be inconvenienced by these people so their purposes are like they're there for each other in this story and nothing none Um, of it i I guess i guess technically and the guy we're thinking of is sebastian stan by the way and it was nice because he plays um bucky barnes or the winter soldier in marvel stuff yeah it was funny seeing him with tom holland in a scene or two i was like oh that's funny i wonder if they're gonna obviously it would never make it in the final cut but i hope there's an outtake where they mentioned like a marvel quote or something Right. Um, you can make the case that he, as the sheriff, is the one that discovered or or uh, looked into Tom Holland's dad's suicide. That's well, yeah, I, I guess. Th- then there's those scenes, you know, where Tom Holland's younger younger self, like the night of his his dad's suicide, is like yeah. in the back of that dude's cop car. Right. But I don't know. He could have. He would have been better off as just like a sheriff that is a law enforcement officer in that town. Totally. Like um, you don't need you don't need the rest of it. Yeah, I think you know just because it's in the book does like doesn't mean it needs to be in the movie. We right. talk often about how more often than not the book is better than the movie because they can fit everything into the book, yeah. and they can't always put all the details from the book into the movie. Yeah, uh, I think in this case, uh, it's hard for me to trash on this movie too much because I did like it. But it could have been a more cohesive film. And I guess that's the lens that I have to look at this through is that just because all those details were in this book doesn't mean they, in fact, need to be in the movie. They could have trimmed the fat and probably trimmed out like one of these storylines, but then it wouldn't have been true to the book. Well, so there's an maybe art the form. answer is the, the miniseries. Yeah, man. I, if I, cause like 
again, coming back to like sort of the nonlinear storytelling, some of these characters are in the movie for a third of it and then are gone basically forever. Yeah. And if you had time to, as a, as a TV show production crew, like if you had time to sort of really spell out and, and delve into some of these characters, like I would love to see a whole 60 minute episode on how Robert Pattinson's character became a preacher. Like what kind of fucked upness did he come from? That yeah. And what him made him like the way this, he is totally. And then like, I don't know, man. I just feel like there's a really uh, predictable shorthand for like war vet PTSD. Granted, it's not always in the form of crucifying a fucking dog. Uh, yeah. Didn't need to see that necessarily. That um, was unique, right? And like, I don't know. That comes back to the violence for the sake of violence thing. Like there's like a flashback with the murderer, the serial killers where like you see one of the guys that they've sort of lured and they're like, I think just like castrated him somehow and like you see that and it's like i i it felt too brief and just shoved in there to like really have any any sort of like narrative impact but maybe if that storyline were dragged out and that was able to breathe a little bit like maybe i could justify it but like that and just the really intense violence like the dude on the cross in um wherever they were uh where his dad was in in the war like i get it but it just felt visceral just to get a rise out of us me maybe uh, yeah, I think that I, I was, I didn't have much of a problem with the violence. I think it kind of, it served in that it was there to give some form of depth or motivation to these characters in a movie where long narration about backstory and motivation is, is lacking that like we will substitute violence as backstory. Yeah, I guess I just, I, I have. Go ahead. But isn't that true for this movie and a lot of these characters? Isn't that what we got? Yes. I just think right. I have a shorter fuse for um, sort of the general bleakness. Like the, another one that I think of, which is not as visually violent, but um, Eliza Scanlon's character, Lenora, when she finds out that she is pregnant from Reverend Preston Teagarden, uh, who like, man, that's already so fucked up. Like take off your clothes so that God can see you in your tr true light. And then I'm also going to have sex with you. And now you're pregnant. And pff, that's not my baby, whatever. And then she hangs herself kind of like we have this really dramatic scene where she has a rope around her neck and there's just kind of panning in uh, close up on her face. And then the narrator cuts in and is like, and then Lenora realized that her mother accepted her and she was happy and she'd be fine after all. And then the bucket comes out and she dies. Like it was shocking, I guess, but I don't understand the point of building that up. This, this fine, like finally we get this moment to be like, Oh, something good's happening to somebody in this universe. And it's like, no, just kidding. She's accidentally now going to hang. Like, yeah. I just have, I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that kind of uh, morbidity, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that type of writing would definitely affect different people differently. Yeah. And like, if it, yeah. And in this day and age, in this pandemic, it's, it's pretty <laughs> easy to get bummed the fuck out. And yeah. I can see that like having an immediate and dramatic effect. I I just like, what's the point if, if Tom Holland is his father's son and his father's main sort of flaws, I get like his, his final sort of thing that, that ended up killing him. I know he killed himself. It was like his obsession with violence. And in his case, like trusting in God to fix everything. Like I need his son not to fall prey to those same things. And the entire yeah. movie, Tom Holland is just, just as violent. Granted, it's kind of for different reasons, but like if, if this movie is about sort of the sins of the father, like I need the son to break away from that and have some sort of, I don't know, redemptive arc. And it just ends up with him falling asleep and, and going about his life. 
with not really a clear point where I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to change. Like he might go enlist in the war and then just repeat everything his father did. And it's like, I don't, why, why are we watching this? Well, see, okay. I think in my opinion, he kind of did break from that because, uh, his father couldn't solve his problems with violence, which he directly tried to do by killing the dog as a sacrifice. Yeah. And realizing that he couldn't solve his problems with violence, he ended his life violently. And there was at least three times in this movie that I was almost positive Tom Holland was going to blow his brains out. Uh, Like, almost positive. So I think in him not doing that and, like, burying the gun and then, like, bouncing, I think in a way that was them writing that as, like, breaking the cycle of violence and, like, clean slating it. I think there might be an argument there, but I'm, I'm hesitant because literally everything that led up to that point was a cycle of violence. Like he murdered, uh, justifiably so I think, but like four people to get to that point. Like he killed the creepy preacher, killed the serial killers again, fair, and then killed, um, Sebastian Stan's character, the sheriff slash whatever office he was running for. And those are more justifiable than killing your dog. Definitely don't do that. But it's Mm -hmm. still the same violence to solve problems that led his dad down the path that it did. Yeah. So I don't know. And he's so much uh, maybe younger than his dad was. Maybe it's the uh, violence to solve problems. If you don't mix faith in it, it works out mm. better. Maybe. I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Because, uh, yeah, it is, it, it is a weird, you know, comparison to make between him and his father. Also, that whole first act, like, is, again, I did like this movie. The first uh, 20, 30 minutes was slow dude and like it was slow do you think i i personally think until i agree or disagree that uh bill skarsgård's whole storyline could have been a flashback that was maybe three minutes long i know yeah but no we don't we have to drag it out for some reason and also i don't know that i like bill skarsgård as an actor i can really only call to mind his performance as pennywise but yeah i don't know man like his act a lot of people were really over the top especially with their accents including i thought the narrator but maybe I, I don't think that's his actual accent. It's just so, I don't know, man. It was so um, caricature to me. A lot of it was. Well, a lot of people sound like that. So I, I, I don't yeah, know, man. I, maybe, but I, it just felt, it felt oversimplified. Bill Skarsgård's character in particular. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. And also we like know his he spiral was so quick. Like he was smitten with this waitress and it was cute and, and like almost rom com for a minute. And then it got so dark. They bought a piece of shit house. For some well, reason, that was weird. The very next scene from saying, like, I fell in love today. I don't yeah. know her name. Yeah. Like, they have one scene together after that, like, when he meets her and, like, actually gets her name. Yeah. And the very next scene, they have a baby and they're buying a house. You're I like, know. Well, yeah. that fucking happened quick. <laughs> she didn't even give him her name. Like, I like to imagine that she wasn't going to tell him, but then her boss was like, Charlotte. And she goes, fuck. All right. I guess I got to get to know this guy now. Right. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. And then there was, like, the whole side thing with with um harry uh what's his name harry melling's character the the first preacher with the spider boy oh yeah like where he kills um the girl that that bill skarsgård's mom tried to set him up with so that she Mm -hmm. could bring him back to life i do think there's interesting commentary that could have been had on like the hive mind slash potential um uh uh what's the word um hypnotizing effect that religion can have organized religion in particular and mm-hmm. it just doesn't dwell on that enough. Like there's oh, his character, Harry Mellings was just like, all right. Like, especially when he's like resurrect God, resurrect, get it. Like that whole scene was just like, okay, I get it. 
it's whatever. But then he's, he gets murdered. So yep. f- I guess, sure, we watched that happen. We watched a girl get stabbed in the neck with a screwdriver and bleed out. And fine, I guess. But yeah. it's just a lot of violence against people in this movie. Yeah. That don't expect it. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And apparently I'm into that because I liked it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I want to read this book now because I'm curious to see if there's like more character development in this almost like novella because 300 pages is that even a novel yeah it is but we're just used to books that are like seven okay pages. oh we're nerds okay gotcha <laughs> although gotcha, i haven't cool. i haven't properly read a long book in a long time so i don't know maybe i'm not okay well yeah maybe i'll read the book i don't know i like the movie well enough um yeah. i think you pretty much hated it and you've reinforced that viewpoint throughout the danger zone yeah and i'm trying to just make a like i'm not trying to just be like i hate it for i just don't care i just hate it like i feel like i'm making and i think you agree with a lot of my points like they just rubbed me a little bit worse than they did you yeah exactly and i think i i mean i loved the aesthetic of this movie and i i think oh okay that's we should we haven't talked about that that's true the aesthetic and the soundtrack were fucking amazing oh i hated the soundtrack (laughs) i didn't hate the soundtrack i hated the way it was used Mm. Uh, like there's a moment where she gets stabbed in the neck with the screwdriver. The moment she hits the ground, there's a song cue and it's like, I can't remember what the song is, but it was so cheesy, but it was like on the neck. It was so cheesy. Sure. Um, cinematography, it was shot on 35 millimeter film. There's these big, amazing shots. A lot of stuff was shot at the golden hour. Like it's gorgeous. I do think there's some like digital artifacting that was put in in post to give it a little bit more of a film grain kind of look, but, um, it, it was a, for most of it, a pretty good looking movie. Yeah, I loved it. And also, I love this time period. I love the cars. I love the technology. Yeah. The simplicity. I think there's a lot of that that I find really endearing and uh, I enjoy cinematically. So, being partial to that probably affected my rating somewhat and also my enjoyment of this movie somewhat. Yeah. Also, I like murder, crime, true yeah. crime. Like, I'm into all that stuff. So, it, I think it just it did not hit me nearly as hard as it hit you. And that's fine. What do you think of the. Uh the CGI spiders. There's a lot of CGI that I kind of took problem with here, but particularly the spiders. I'm wondering if it wasn't, it wasn't a fan of that at all. It was, yeah, it was just a really intense scene. A lot of those preaching scenes are like, all right. Okay. Delusions. (laughs) Delusions. Oh shit. Man. (laughs) Yeah. He's great. Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'm going to mention is uh, letterboxd on their Instagram shared a review from their app. Yeah. It's a three star rating of this movie in the, uh, the quote or the review in its entirety was, I believe, I'm going to paraphrase. Okay. Uh, the best thing to come out of 2020 is the Robert Sants, the Robert Pattinson Renaissance. I know. I know. It's and so good. <laughs> he's playing some good roles, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good you know. follow. Letterboxd, they posted another, I think they posted one on uh, what you're talking about. If you guys don't follow Letterboxd, again, you should. Um, they'll screenshot users' reviews sometimes. And they screenshot one who reviewed the social dilemma and all that, it wasn't like super insightful that you might expect. It was just like, so we're all fucked basically. And I was, <laughs> yeah. I was scrolling through Instagram. I was like, yeah, that's what yeah, I should you write can tell, my review. Yeah. You can tell the people that run the, the letterboxd Instagram, like they have a sense of humor. They I, have I, a I podcast. That. That's cool. They're, it's called, I think out. it's called the letterbox podcast. And, and they're, that I, would make sense. Yeah. They're based in uh, New Zealand, I think. And I listened to a couple of episodes and I was, just, it's one of those accents that you're like, yeah, it's just, everything's fine. It's all going to be fine. If yeah. you are from New Zealand. Yep. Just take away. I know. I was, I was thinking about firing you before the podcast. Me? And, uh, I, yeah, I was going to make it funny. You're just joking around about what happened yesterday. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. 
Should we get yeah, together? I'm going to get a new Max. <laughs> I can find a new Max real yeah. quick. Yeah. Real quick. Like, bye, old Max. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just go full cord. Sure. Might as well. Yeah. But that's a good rule in life. Whenever given the opportunity, go full cord from Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Or just go full Taika, I guess, is the is the move. Full Taika. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Um, okay. Any other last minute thoughts on the devil all the time? Uh, no, I think you should watch it. That's, that's it. I'm sneaking that in there. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck you, Max. I liked it. I think you, I know I said earlier that I can't recommend it with a clear conscience. So consider my conscience besmirged, but I might think you should watch it as well. At least, I don't know. Maybe watch it with a group of friends that have differing opinions and see if you guys can all have a discussion about it. I think it's, you know, it's, there's good things about it. I just think it should have should have gone through a few more filters. I think there's a two drink minimum on this movie as well. Yeah. I was, I was stoked that you called me out on that. Cause I've said that to you so many times in either direction, like you should be drunk or you shouldn't. And mm-hmm. you were like, I, cause I was watching it at like 11 AM this morning and you were like, I don't think you should be sober. I was like, yep. all right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So you got drunk. I did not No, mm-hmm. that would have been a move. A very, I would have been making a statement for sure. I chose not yeah. to make that statement today. Well, fortune favors the bold, and you, my friend, are poor of spirit. <laughs> Thanks a lot, fortune. See you another time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. All right you want to take us out of here, or are you still talking? Uh, I'm done. Let's get okay. out of here. Uh, all right. The show wouldn't be what it is without Bailey Minardi, uh, including all of our patrons. We appreciate you guys. I know it's been sort of a weird month. We've missed a couple episodes, um, but thanks for sticking with us. We'll see you next week for some more beer and movies. That's Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. Look forward to the episode next week where we spend an hour and a half reviewing Toby Keith music videos. (laughs) See you then. (laughs) This is Fresh Hot Cinema.